Ten Commandments are not something that is obsolete. They are the foundation stone, so to speak, of how we're going to live. If we live our life the way God intended, you cannot take these and toss them out. They've got to be the foundation stone for your living. Jesus Christ and His Word. So we're talking about ten keys to, that, uh, to living large. And here's what we've covered so far. Uh, we talked about the first Sunday. I've taken all the Ten Commandments and I've inverted them to the way they would sound in a positive note. Instead of having other gods before me, put the Lord first. Instead of no idols, accept no substitutes. Instead of don't take His name in vain, take God seriously. Instead of honor the Sabbath day, use a day to pause, rest, and worship. Instead of honoring your parents, we said respect and obey your parents is how we translated that. Today we're going to take a look at honor and protect human life. Thou shalt not kill. Then here's the upcoming sermons. Practice and promote purity. Don't have adultery. Get things honestly. Don't steal. Be truthful. Don't bear false witness. And don't covet. Learn to be content. But today we're going to talk about thou shalt not kill. Now, I've already been asked this question uh, by someone, and I told him, I said, well, believe it or not, I'm going to talk about that today. Uh, when it says, thou shalt not kill, it doesn't, the best translation is not, thou shalt not kill. In your newer translations, it translated, thou shalt not murder. There's a difference between killing and murder. And so the question comes up, and a lot of people who who've been in the military and they've had to shoot and to kill people, it really messes them up. I mean, they have a friend of mine, you know, who died recently. We're pretty sure he took his own life. He was in the war, the first uh, Desert Storm War, and he had, uh, he had to shoot people, but from a distance he said it was like playing a video game. But then he decided he wanted to go up close and see who he shot, and when he shot him, it freaked him out. And he had that PTSD. Now, I think one of the things that causes that is because people feel like they violated that commandment, thou shalt not kill. But again, that commandment is not talking about killing people in time of war. It's talking about murder, which is totally different than defending yourself on the battlefield or, or fighting a righteous war. Now let me, let me give you a, a, an example that's just hot on everybody's mind right now. There's a war going on in the Middle East. Um, you have these ladies right here, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and I forgot what that other one was, Olab or something, I forgot what her name is, but they're real radical leftists uh, in Congress. And they claim that Israel is occupying Arab land. Why is there such a fuss over there? It's because Arabs believe that Israel is in their holy place, the third most holy place, that is the Temple Mount, and they're fighting over this land constantly. Now, look at what... The green is where the Arabs and Muslims are. Look at where... Israel is. That little tiny piece of land. That's what they're fighting over. Here's a zoom up of that. Okay? It's about the size of New Jersey. It's just a little tiny thing. Why is that always the biggest bone of contention on the earth? It's because Jesus is going to come sit up his millennial kingdom there one day and the devil knows it and he hates Jews and he hates God and so he's going to attack the very throne room area of God. That's why he hates it. Now, when I was there in Israel, this is a picture I took. This was on the Gaza Strip, which is where a lot of those rockets are coming from. It's kind of like uh, the southwest corner of, of Israel, kind of there on, uh, on the beach. I was about a mile from where they were shooting those rockets off. Um, I was calm, but you see that? That's a bomb shelter. You know what that bomb shelter is for? That's because there was an elementary school right near there, and when a bomb started shooting, the elementary school students run into that shelter. It looks bigger than it looks. Can you imagine sending your kids to ICC or something like that and having to have a bomb shelter out there, knowing your kid's going to go to school and the bombs might start going off and your kid has to run out in the parking lot and gather in a building? Can you imagine that? 
Here is a picture of an Israeli woman. That's from this week. With no place to shelter, holding her little baby in absolute terror. Here is a picture of, you see the streaming ones here on your right. That is coming from Israel's enemies. Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, it's funded by Iran, who the United States supports and gives them a bunch of money. And uh, so the Iranians don't shoot at Israel themselves. They give money to Hamas. And Hamas is shooting off all these rockets. They have hundreds of thousands of rockets in their arsenal provided for by Iran. Do you see these things going up like that? Those are intercepting those missiles. That's what the, uh, the Israelis built after they were bombarded by so many rockets about 10 years ago. It's called the Iron Dome. Really all it is is a really high-tech rocket interceptor thing. So whenever one of those rockets goes off, there's a reader um, uh, on, on the ground that shoots up and is able to trace that rocket, and it's 90% effective. 90% of those rockets that come over um, are intercepted by that Iron Dome. I mean, the Jews, they're always way ahead on some stuff because God is uh, protecting them. Uh, here's what just happened this week. Uh, this was as yesterday, the stats were. There have been 2,400 uh, rockets fired at Israel, 10 Israelis killed, millions of Israelis running for shelter, 1,500-plus Israeli civilians wounded. When Israel responds this way and blows up key headquarters of Hamas and all these terrorists, the world goes bananas. Israel's the aggressor. And the UN will condemn them every time. And a lot of left-wing politicians will condemn them every time. I want to tell you something. They have every right in the world to send one of those missiles out and kill everyone in that building. Because that's justified war. And when we were going after Saddam Hussein and things, things like this, that is justified war. I know sometimes you think, well, what is justified? What is not justified? You know, that's between God, but as a soldier who is under orders to go and do something to protect his nation, that does not apply to thou shalt not kill. Because thou shalt not kill means thou shalt not murder. To kill on the battlefield is not murdering someone. It's killing them. Why would God tell His people in the Old Testament, you've got to go in there in the promised land and clean it out. And I want you to go wipe out all the Amalekites. God commanded His people, right after He gave them the Ten Commandments, it wasn't too long where He says, I want you to go in there and wipe them all out. So it can't be, thou shalt not kill an umbrella over everything, God Himself commanded His people to kill certain people to wipe out the sin of the land. So in times of war, thou shalt not kill does not apply. Let me read you... Uh, uh, where did that go? Okay, here, here we go. I'm sorry. Another question comes up is what about capital punishment? This is a big one. If ever you see somebody being executed, there's always... These people out there were signs, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not kill. Two wrongs don't make a right, and all, all that kind of stuff. Can I tell you something? They're misinterpreting Scripture. God commanded people in the Old Testament, someone takes someone's life, you take their life. If someone, I mean, they were a lot more strict in the sense of... Uh, God was with His Jewish people. If someone were homosexual back in the Old Testament, again, this was among His own people, He would say it was the death penalty for homosexuals. He would say it was the death penalty for rebellious sons. Now this isn't a kid who forgets to take out garbage one day. <laughs> we're talking about a kid who's just living a lifestyle rebellion. But I'm going to tell you something. If, uh, if that were killing, God is contradicting in His own word. And the death penalty is a hot, hot topic. But when you got people like this, Ted Bundy, remember Ted Bundy? Man, he, he, a nice-looking guy. He was incredibly articulate. He was basically uh, on his way to becoming a lawyer. He even served, believe it or not, with Repub the Republican Party and helped get people elected. But he was a monster. 
And the sad thing about him was because he was a monster, he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Look at his eyes. I tell you, if you've ever seen somebody possessed by a demon, look at those eyes. He got those Charles Manson eyes. Ted Bundy killed and raped and butchered over 30 women. Before he got caught, a few days before he got caught, he went into a sorority house, slaughtered some girls, then went out his last killing was a 12-year-old girl who he beat and cut up and raped. And they, they caught him. Now, if there's anybody who deserves the death penalty, it was Ted Bundy. And he got it. He got it. Uh, he got the electric, uh, the electric chair. Uh, here's a guy named John Wayne Gacy. You've probably heard of him. Uh, how many of you heard John Wayne Gacy? Raise your hand. Let me see. If, uh, 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 most of us here. He was, uh, word failed me, uh, I think he was in Chicago, but he was like this community leader. He'd be kind of like a, um, you know, somebody on the, on the commission, the city commission or something like that. He was a really high up political leader. He even went to the White House and got a picture with him and Rosalind Carter. Can you believe that? He was another monster. Everybody loved him. He was very gregarious, but you know what he did? He would lure young boys to come work for him in his home. He would attack them physically and in other ways like that and would kill them and dig a hole and bury them under his house. They found 30 of these boys under his house. One of the boys who escaped, and by the way, he liked to dress up as a clown around children. Clowns freak me out. <laughs> anyway, um, he, dre he dressed up as a clown. And so, but listen, he killed all these boys. One boy that escaped said this, that he was just talking to Gacy, you know, and, and Gacy was like trying to get him to get in some handcuffs. Like they were playing a magic trick was what he was trying to do. And the guy refused and he said Gacy's eyes just flipped and he started growling at him. Uh, if there's ever a man who deserved the death penalty, it was John Wayne Gacy. And he got it. Put to death by lethal injection. The South Florida Sun Sentinels interviewed a rabbi and a monsignor which is like some kind of Catholic office. And they asked them about this question, thou shalt not kill. What does that mean? The commandment is lo tiktark. That's and its meaning is clear, thou shalt not murder. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. Killing a chicken for food is not murder. And how many of you want to say, bless God for that, amen? Okay. And killing a person in self-defense is not murder. Murder is the morally unjustified killing of a human being. That's the definition you need to focus on. What is murder? Thou shalt not murder. Murder is the morally unjustified killing of a human being. Amen. Now, we think about that in, in light of war. We think about that light of capital punishment. Not, God is not saying that we cannot kill in a just war. That we cannot take capital punishment out on people who deserve the death penalty. But here is the number one way in which people are murdered today. And I, I want to address that here this, this morning. And I think I'm going to teach this to the youth on their own because I wish they could have been here to hear this, but I'm going to teach it to them on their own sometime. But listen to this. I'm talking about abortion because that is the number one way the United States commits murder. A thousand to one, that's the number one way America commits murder. In the Old Testament, they had different gods. This is one of their uh, gods uh, in the Old Testament, and they often sacrifice their children to idols. Could you imagine taking a baby up and sitting him down on that hot idol with fire coming and watch your baby boil to death? Do you know that's exactly what abortion does? There's abortion type of, of, of means where it literally burns skin off the baby. 
You know where child sacrifice comes from? It comes from this. Listen to this. They even sacrifice their sons and their daughters to demons. That's where child sacrifice comes from. And I tell you, abortion is nothing other than child sacrifice. And they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. I'm going to tell you something. You've got all these crazy envir- environmentalists out there and all these, uh, those crazy people, the Green New Deal and stuff like that. I'm telling you, that's not the pollution of this land. The pollution of this land is in blood. The blood of slaughtered, innocent people. There is nothing more innocent than a little baby. And I'll tell you what else is more innocent than a little baby outside his mother's womb. It's a little baby inside his mother's womb. As I've heard someone say this, the most dangerous place to be in America is not in downtown Little Rock or downtown Chicago. Or the most dangerous place to be in America is in a mother's womb. So you have this big debate. Use it at the Supreme Court. You have one side saying keep abortion legal. You've got the pro-life, and, and uh, usually the pro-life behaves a little bit better. We've got some nuts, but for the ma- uh, vast majority, they're, they behave a whole lot better, but the keep abortion legal folks are in your face about it. They are militant about it. It seems like whenever they get a bunch of wad of money approved, they've always got to earmark some of it to abortion. Now, let me tell you some things before I get really into this subject. I'm not an expert on this subject. There are some things I feel real comfortable in teaching because I know a lot about it. I know some about this. So I'm not an expert. I'm going to quote quite a bit. And there are some difficult questions in this sermon I may not be able to answer to your satisfaction because there are some really tricky questions that come up about this subject even among those who are pro-life. What about this? What about that? But ultimately, we are to submit our conscience to the Lord Jesus Christ on this issue. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who go along with the world's thinking on this instead of asking God what does He think about it and what does Scripture say about it. Now, here's what we're going to ask uh, this morning. Looking at my clock there. <laughs> uh, honor and protect human life, thou shalt not kill. We're going to look at some basic facts on abortion. Then we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about the sanctity of human life. Why is human life so sacred? Then we're going to talk about some common questions that are raised by pro-abortionists. Um, and we're going to cover those and try to answer those the best we can. And then number four, what can we do? We're not just to hear the word, we're to do the word, right? We're not just to hear the word about thou shalt not murder uh, little babies. What can we practically do as a congregation here at Franklin Baptist Church to deal with this issue? Well, first of all, I'm going to talk about concerning the frequency of abortions as we give you some basic basic facts. Let me uh, give you some uh, research that I did. Over 600,000 babies are aborted every year in America. That's the lowest of the stats I could get. Some say 800,000. 600,000 babies are aborted every year in America. 1,700 babies are aborted every day in America. Approximately one out of every three pregnancies in the United States is aborted. That's why it's not a stretch to say the most dangerous place in America is the mother's womb. Nearly 50% of all abortions are repeats. In Arkansas, this is the latest stats I could pull up, 3,200 abortions were provided in Arkansas in 2017. That's the latest stat I could research. Since the landmark case of Roe versus Wade, that's when abortion was made legal in 1973, there have been over 60 million abortions. The population of the United States is around 300 million. 60 million abortions. Do you know what that did? I tell you, you're going to reap what you sow. They aborted 60 million tax-paying Americans one of these days who are going to pay into people's Social Security who aborted them. 
And the Social Security is going to run out. And, and, and we just look for the moment. There's long-term consequences of what we're doing right here. The frequency of abortion. Did you know, as I said, there are over 60 million babies aborted. Do you know in the Holocaust how awful that was? And the world was outraged. They couldn't believe how Hitler could kill 6 million innocent people. Do your math. 60 million compared to 6 million is 10 times more people have died in the womb than of the Holocaust. The frequency of abortions. By the time that I finish this message, 70 babies will have been aborted. Now let's talk about concerning abortion procedures and its after effects. I'm going to quote this one, okay? Some doctors say that abortion is a routine operation to remove fetal tissue, but in truth, it is the destruction of a living human being. They do not tell the patient the cruel truth that the fragile life within her may be torn to pieces and sucked into a jar and poisoned by a strong salt solution or perhaps born alive and allowed to die by neglect or sometimes killed by a direct act. One young woman who later regretted an abortion stated, the doctor said a little fluid out and some fluid injected, severe cramps, and the fetus is expelled. That isn't what happened. I felt my girl thrash around for an hour and a half till she died a slow death. The mother is also exposed to long-term complications and incomplete, uh, incomplete abortions resulting in blood clotting, bleeding, hemorrhage, and infections are not uncommon. Miscarriage, tubal pregnancies, and sterility are always risk and tend to multiply with successive abortions. Cervical lacerations and uterine perforation can result from suction and DNC procedures. Convulsions, severe vomiting, and diarrhea are common with prostaglandin abortion, whatever that is. Cardiac arrest and maternal deaths have also been reported. But here's another part they don't tell you. Long-term psychological and spiritual effects, which are now just beginning to be seriously studied, include guilt, anxiety, depression, sense of loss, nightmares, death scenes, deterioration of self-image, and even suicide. You're going to reap what you sow. You cannot monkey with God's methods and not expect to pay for it. And the worst of all, which is supported by the majority, I'll just, let me just be honest, by a lot of the Democrats, okay, is partial birth abortion. Obama was all for it. Kamala Harris is all for it. I don't know Joe Biden's particular stance on that, but it seems like people like that are pulling his chain. The partial birth abortion is the most awful, wicked, demonic thing. You can have the baby right up to birth. They turn it around as it's, and pull it out of the birth canal. I hate to tell you that, but you need to know this stuff. They pull it out of the birth canal. They stick a pair of scissors in, back here, pop it open, and suck out its brains. And here's the sad thing about that. Your tax money is being spent for that. Now, concerning the, the development of the child in the womb. You know, it's just a fetus. It's not really a full person. You know, I know that sounds awful, but it's just a fetus. Well, let me give you some, um, a word about the development of the child in the womb. Just listen to this. In the first month, the moment your mother's egg was fertilized, 46 chromosomes with 30,000 genes combined to determine all your physical characteristics. Your gender, facial features, body type, uh, color of hair, eyes and skin. Even more amazingly, intelligence and personality... The way you think and feel were already in place within your genetic code. At the moment of conception, you were already essentially and uniquely you. At the very moment of conception. Other things happen during the first month. Eyes are developing. The foundation is laid for the brain and spinal cord. The heart beats regularly within 24 days. Arms and leg buds appear and muscles are forming. Second month, 
Brain waves recorded, lungs forming, muscles start working together, reflexes are present. It begins to move. This is four weeks into the pregnancy. Skeleton formed, ears and earlobes formed, eyelids forming, responds to touch, fingers and toes defined, permanent fingerprints. Within four to six weeks. Four to eight weeks, excuse me. The gender is identifiable. And it's between one and one-fourth inch long. A third month, the baby can suck his thumb, can hear, begins to hiccup. Fingers can grasp objects. Eyelids close if touched. It's three inches long. It's obvious that this is not just some amoeba sitting there doing nothing in its mother's womb. You're talking about the development of a human right there. We're talking about two things that come together at conception that already has everything it needs for a personality, what its hair color is going to be, and somehow there was a glitch in mine that I was going to be destined to be bald, okay, in my DNA. All right. Um, Now concerning, what is the stance of the Southern Baptist Convention on abortion? Again, they can't dictate to any of us. We're just cooperation with our head organization. But they do take public stances on things. And then the messengers, like uh, yours truly and Gail, one of these days we're going to go back to the Southern Baptist Convention. Money a little tight right now. But we will vote on stances like this that represent the Southern Baptist Convention. So what is the Southern Baptist stance on abortion? In 1982, there was an update to what we stated um, In the 1982 uh, SBC meeting, it says, we will support and we will work for appropriate legislation and or constitutional amendment which will prohibit abortions except to save the life, the physical life of the mother. So the Southern Baptist stance, the only exception they give is to save the life of the physical mother. And I'm going to develop that a little bit more later on. Dr. Richard Land, who was the head of our kind of ethics department, I like what he said. He said, he kind of listed it in points. Number one, human life begins at conception. That abortion is the taking of human life. Number three, the only valid defensible moral reason for taking a human life is to defend the mother's life. So we would not accept rape, incest, or fetal deformity as valid moral exceptions for an abortion. So, number two, what does the Bible say about the sanctity of human life? Hey, let's go to the one who created it all, and let's look at his owner manual, and let's figure out what he said, not what Hollywood says, or liberal politicians say, or what the crowd is saying out there. What does God say about the sacredness, the holiness of a human life? Well, first thing we learn is this. God is the creator and originator of all human life, not just Adam and Eve. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1 and various verses. Then God said, let us, who's us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Do you know what that means? Here's some Spanish for you guys. Be fruitful and multiply. That means have some babies. Babies, okay? So y'all, y'all, y'all been married how many months? Four months, okay? After about a year, start being fruitful and multiply, okay? You have my blessing. Have, have some babies. We want to see some cute little Peruvian-looking babies with red hair, right? <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, I don't know how I got off on that. It was just too hard to refuse to tease them on that. Um, but it says, um, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw that he, all that he had made and behold, it was very good. See, when he created the 
seas and the land and the light and the fish and the turtles and all that kind of stuff. At the end of every day, those first five days, he said, and it was good. And, and you know, he created the stars, and it was good. It gets to there, and when he created man on, on that, uh, when he created man on that sixth day, he said, behold, this is very good. So God is putting his stamp. There's something different about man. There's something different about man than the spotted owl or the moose that's going extinct. God put man as the crown of his creation. Why? Because man is made in the image of God. We don't know exactly what that means. We do know in some sense that you know, God, is, uh, God reasons, He thinks, He has emotion, He has will, He is spirit. And all those things make up a man which many times are not in animals or plants. We are unique among God's, all of God's creation. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 103. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us, not we ourselves. And so, God is the creator and originator of all human life. Here's another thing. God considers the fetus to be a person. And this is the real crux of the issue. Are you going to believe God's word or are you going to believe man's word? God's word says it this way. The Hebrew word, you know, the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word is called yelled. And it means uh, children in general. And so, they would say, here's a two-year-old yelled. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Here's a two-year-old yelled. But they would also say, when the mother's pregnant, she's got a yelled in her. There was no distinction between calling that a child out here or a child in here. Okay, that's what God says. In the New Testament, the Greek word is brepos, which can mean an unborn child, an embryo, a fetus, a newborn child, an infant, or a baby, all of those, I mean a baby, a child, a newborn, whatever it is, all uses that same word. When the baby is in the womb, he's still called the same term as use of a child, maybe two or three years old. So God clearly says, what's in that mother's room, womb is a person. Here's just a few verses on that. Isaiah 49.1 the Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, He named me. Luke 1.41, remember how John the Baptist was born in the womb six months before Jesus was conceived? And when John the Baptist's mother met Mary, the Bible says the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Somehow, John the Baptist in the mother's womb knew that was something supernatural having that, and the, and the baby leapt in his mother's womb. That's a person. Listen to Jeremiah. God said, Before I formed in you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you aside. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Paul the apostle said, He who had set me apart even from my mother's womb. Here's another thing. Children are a gift from God. I, I, I mean, if I pretend to be a lost person, and I pretend to be going along with the flow and Hollywood and everything saying, I can understand how in a twisted, fallen mind, if a teenage girl gets pregnant that they could rationalize in their mind, it'd be just easier to have this baby aborted. I'm not saying I agree with that, but I can see the twisted, fallen world thinking of that. But once you have a baby, I have no idea how anybody can have an abortion once you have a baby. I, I, it just blows my mind. I don't see how anybody can abuse a child once they have a baby. I, I, I do not understand that. Children are a gift from God. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Whoops. Let me back it up there. God is at work within the womb. Just to, um, li listen, to, let me just read one. This is out of Job. You formed me with your hands. You made me 
Remember that you made me from dust. You guided my conception and formed me in the womb. You clothed me with skin and flesh and you knit my bones and sinews together. You gave me life and you showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. God is at work within the womb. And listen to what Jesus said, how valuable a human life was worth. Matthew 12, 10. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they questioned him, saying, questioned Jesus, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And or they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus said this, You can take all the animals in the world, but they're not worth one price of an individual. That's how worthy an individual is for God. And then here's the ultimate thing. Human life is so precious to God that Christ died for every single man, woman who's ever lived. Now, here's the, where we get to the crux of the message. Okay, you're like, okay, I'm following you so far. agree with you so far, but what if somebody asks me these questions who's a pro-abortionist person? And we need to be able to answer them. We shouldn't be mad at them. We should be able to answer them. The first one is the life of the mother question. What do you do when the doctor comes in and says, unless, uh, you know, your wife may die, from this birth, what do you do? Well, again, I'm no expert on this, but let me read you some things that, that I read that helped me formulate my mind on this. Um, I already quoted from the SBC meeting that the Southern Baptist Convention uh, uh, stands against all abortions except to save the physical life of the mother. Dr. Jerome Lejour, who is a world-famous geneticist, said, I would do everything I could to save the life of the mother, but I would never attack and kill an unborn child. So what he's saying is this. You have a mother who could die during pregnancy. You don't, you don't go straight in to try to kill the baby. You do everything you can to preserve the life of the mother. And if in preserving the life of the mother, the child dies, that is not, I mean, that's God's business. Okay? And that's a hard thing, I know. I probably can't answer everything you're thinking about that. That's a toughie, but if there's any area that I would support, it's taking... It's not taking an active role in that case. It is taking an active role to save the life of the mother. And if the baby dies in that process, I do not think that is what we would call abortion. All right. Now, the rape incest question. By the way, they make it sound like that one-third of all women have been raped and are pregnant with some psycho killer. And that's why we've got to have abortions, Right? Did you know how many percent of people who have abortions are due to rape or incest? 5%? percent? 3%? 2%? 1%? Here's my latest stats. Less than one-tenth of 1% are due to rape and incest. The majority of abortions are done for sake of convenience or they're used as a method of birth control. Well, I had a baby out of wedlock. Let's just go ahead and take care of it. And my question is this, who made you God? I'm telling you, a child cannot be conceived unless God permits it to be conceived. And I know you're asking a question like, what was your teenage daughter? She got raped and got pregnant. Well... That's a tough thing, but I still think you ought to say God is in control and give the baby up for adoption. Let somebody else have it, but don't slaughter an innocent baby who had nothing to do with it. Give the child up for adoption. There is an answer 
And I know these are tough. This is a hot, hot issue. But let me give you some examples of why that rape and incest should not be the cause of an abortion. It should be the cause of an adoption, maybe, but not the cause of an abortion. Let me give you some reasons. Did you know that, remember when Abraham, um, his nephew Lot, had backslid, the Bible says he was a righteous man, means he was saved, but he backslid into Sodom and living in there in this horrible place, and God came and rescued him out. And when he rescued him out, his daughters were left without their husbands, so there was no one to carry on the family line. So did you know what those daughters said? Let's get daddy drunk, and we'll go in there and have relationships with him so we can carry on some, some family here. And the oldest one of the daughters who had a child, the child he named, named the child Moab. It, the word, Hebrew word Moab means from my father. Did you know that out of, the, out of that conception came Moab, a child of incest, came the Moabites a great enemy of Israel. And the other incestuous child was the father of the Ammonites and the Canaanites and all those kind of things that I'm telling you, you say disobey God. But here's how God can even take the worst evil and turn it around for good. Because there was a lady named Naomi. She was starving to death. Her sons had died. She's got her daughter-in-laws. And he's like, i got to go back to Israel if I can find something to eat. And so she, she just said to her, her daughter-in-law, y'all just, go, y'all just going back to your homeland. And Ruth, the Moabitess, the Bible says. Ruth, the Moabitess said, I'm not going anywhere. I want to stay with you. She came home with Naomi, married her relative. This was not incest, called the kinsman redeemer. Did you know who, who Ruth, her descendants went down through the line? Ruth's descendants ran down the line. And guess who it came upon one day? The Lord Jesus Christ. Ruth, the Moabitess, is an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. God can take what Satan meant to evil and use it for good. You don't monkey with what God does. Show you a few other things. There's a, a guy I know, he's a friend of mine. He spoke at my church. His mother was a prostitute. Drug addict. She was raped. And out of that rape, a young boy was named, born named Tony Nolan. Tony Nolan went through his own time of that kind of raising, abuse, prostitute mother. But later on in his life, I think he was a late teen or early 20s, he got saved. And God called him to preach. And God called him specifically to be an evangelist. I had him come preach at my church, the last church I pastored, and I'd had some my heroes come to that church to preach. I mean... I'm talking about, if you compare it to basketball, I had Michael Jordan and all those kind of level preachers there, okay? And we had people saved and stuff like that. But when Tony came to preach, we had like 20 people saved that morning. And several of them were lost church members. Here's a picture of Tony right there speaking to a stadium full of people. He, he goes all around the country. He sings a lot of times with... He, he, he does the preaching part of a lot of contemporary bands like Casting Crowns, and he'll go on tour with them. And he's speaking to stadiums everywhere. God had a purpose for the child of a prostitute who was raped, and there he is. That's why you can't play God. You cannot play God. Here's another one, the deformity question. Excuse me, the deformity question. What about a child that you know is going to have Down syndrome? What about a child that you know is going to be blind or handicapped or have some kind of disease? Should you abort that baby? That's a tough question. But all I can do is take you to the Word of God. Listen to what Exodus says in 4. When, when Moses was saying, I don't want to be a spokesman, I can't. 
speak good. You know what? It might have been, Moses might have had a speech impediment. He, he says, well, I can't speak good. And God just kind of snapped back at him. And here's what God said to Moses. And the Lord said to him, Exodus 4.11, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb? Or deaf, we would say handicapped? Or who makes him seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I don't understand that. We shouldn't have a God we understand. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I'm telling you what God said. Who's ultimately in charge of whether a baby is born a certain way or not? God said, is it not I, the Lord? I think of people like, um, when I was in seminary, we had a fellow come, David Miller, come and preach. They invited him every year to preach. Anybody heard of David Miller? Anybody here heard of David Okay, David Miller had some kind of deformity, something that, disease that he had, and he looked like a scarecrow. He walked like this, and he looked like he was going to fall over and break in half at any moment. He had to have a permanent guy with him who travels him to get him around. He'd go up in a wheelchair. This guy would help him up to the pulpit like that, and he would sit there and hold on to the pulpit in order to preach, and he was one of the most powerful preachers I've ever heard in my life. David Ring was born with cerebral palsy. Anybody heard of David Ring? Okay, a few. David Ring was born with cerebral palsy. He preached at Jerry Falwell's church. He got saved, preached at Jerry Falwell's church. Preached in probably one of the, just about every mega church in America. David Ring was born with cerebral palsy, still has it. And when he walks, he can barely walk. He walks like this. And when he talks, you can hardly understand what he's saying. I mean, you can understand enough what he's saying. And I'm telling you, every time he preaches, he knocks it out of the park. And I think about our own Jake. Jake was always a blessing to me. Gail and I saw him at Calabama the other day. He's back to washing dishes. And we saw him. And he looks like he's lost about 50 pounds. And I said, Jacob, you've lost all that weight? How'd you lose that weight? And he looked at me and he goes, I don't know. <laughs> he, he gives us lots of laughs and what a blessing he is. Would you have aborted him? Would you have aborted David Miller? David Ring? Now here's the next thing, and I know I'm going a little bit long, but it's a big subject right here. The woman to her body question. If any other thing that comes, uh, it's this one. Well, it's not your body. How dare you tell me what to do with my body? It is my body, my choice. You can't legislate abortion that it's illegal. You can't do that. Well, we've legislated that prostitution is illegal. We've legislated that if a woman is shooting heroin into her body who is pregnant, she might get arrested. If we were to go out here, God forbid, if I were drunk, and I were to go out here, and there is a mother driving down here who's pregnant, and if I were to T-bone her and kill the mother with a pregnant child, I would be charged with double homicide. Isn't that crazy how our laws contradict one another? The baby is not a part of her body. She is simply the host and a guest is in her womb. Let me show you one other thing real quick. In America, an eagle egg is illegal to destroy, punishable by $250,000 fine and up to two years in prison. But yet in America, a human being is legal to kill for any reason. Taxpayer money funds abortion providers and their people who get rich off killing babies. What can we do? Very, very quickly. Obviously, the greatest thing we can ever do is pray. We can pray against this evil. Really, the best thing we can pray for is pray for revival. Because if people get saved and they get discipled, they're not going to be a pro-abortion. Sure, we can pray against abortion, but the main thing we need to pray for is for, for people to get saved and get right with God. We can prepare. 
I've kind of prepared you a little bit here this morning because I've taught you some facts. You need to know some facts about abortion. You don't have to be a scholar. I'm not a scholar on this thing, but you should know enough facts that if anyone were to ask you a question, you could answer it. Why you believe that. Then we can preach. Stand up. Share what you believe. We can protest. Now, I'm not a big protester, but if there's anything to protest about, it's to protest the devaluing of human life. And I've gone on some March of Life protest and peaceful protest. Next word is place. We can place, encourage someone who's thinking about abortion, why don't you place your child up for adoption instead? And then we can provide. We can give to like crisis pregnancy places. Remember how I was pre- I'm preaching through the Ten Commandments that I didn't plan this out. That when I got to Mother's Day, the commandment happened to be honor your father and mother. And you're like, I didn't plan that out. Do you know that I got this sermon already done? Thou shalt not kill everything and I on abortion. And Gail told me last night, it was already done. She goes, oh, by the way, they're passing out those baby bottles tomorrow to raise money for the pro-life clinics. I had no idea that was today. You know what that means? God is speaking. God knows His Word. God knows what time to preach it. And as you leave, what we can do, this is a practical way. You take this home. You can put some coins in it, some dollar bills in it. It's going to go to our local pro-life clinic that helps gives free sonograms. It helps counsel women uh, to save the baby or, or give it up for adoption. It is a practical way that you and I can walk out of here today and provide for them. You know that during the Holocaust, you begin to think, what in the world were Christians thinking back then? These German Christians. When they knew that these Jews were being taken to their slaughterhouse. And one congregant mentioned, when we were in church, we hear the trains go by in the background taking Jews to their death. And you know what they said? When they could hear that train, they said, we just sang our hymns louder to drown out their voices. When we're singing our hymns today and our songs, and we're going out and eating and doing those things, there is a train of babies that are human beings that are always going by into abortion clinics that are being murdered Ten times worse than the Holocaust was. We better do something. We better do something. Let's bow our heads in prayer, would you?